Hello and welcome back to episode three of Manchester's Big Theatre podcast. podcast. Joe, that was half-arsed. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I think I'm a bit tired. Uh, Hello and welcome back to episode three of Manchester's, Manchester's Big Theatre podcast. podcast. Great. Put the keys this morning. <laughs> Three so far. We have had some great people. Yep. Uh, episode one was Maureen Beatty, uh, the second female president of Equity. And all round phenomenal woman. Yes, with a beautiful voice. Yes. And last week's episode, uh, episode two, was Box of Tricks. Hannah and Adam, who founded the company several years ago, moved to Manchester and have had lots of big hits in Manchester for their new writing work. So do check those episodes out. And of course, all the episodes from series one and two if you've not already done so. So in today's episode we went to the Lowry Theatre and interviewed the lovely Claire Simmons who's the artist development producer at Lowry. The Lowry if you don't know is a big venue in Salford uh, in Media City. They have a lot of touring shows come in, big uh, shows from the National Theatre, from different theatres all around the country and they also have smaller touring work but they do receive a small amount of money from Arts Council England to develop artists uh, locally. So that's what Claire's done. She's quite an um, inspiring woman. I found very Absolutely. inspiring, really knew what she was talking about. So uh, if you're an artist out there, hopefully this will be useful for you. If you're just interested in theatre in Manchester, it hopefully will also be interesting to you to find out about this other aspect of what the Lowry does. Absolutely. Please enjoy. Hi Claire, thanks so much for meeting us today. Would you mind just introducing yourself for me? Yeah, I'm Claire Simmons and I'm the Senior Producer for Artist Development here at the Lowry. Lovely. And how do you, can you tell us a bit more about artist development and how it fits into the Lowry as a whole? Sure. Um, Artist development is basically anything and everything that we can do to help artists achieve their potential. So that might be about commissioning new work and then supporting the artist on the process of making that new work and often it is that but it's not just that it's also all the other stuff that might sit around that work so professional development a lot of professional development a lot of um helping artists that we think have got incredible potential to think beyond the project that they're in at that moment or the show that they're making in that you know at that particular time and think about their you know, five-year plan where they want to be in two years' time or the kind of artist they really want to be, you know, as they develop. And then thinking, what can we put in place to help them do that? And sometimes that's um, helping them go off to learn new skills. And sometimes it's about um, doing live coaching with them. And sometimes it's about organisation development, all kinds of different things. Lovely. And how you said that it's in its 10th year this year yeah how has it grown over the time that you've seen it 10 years yeah sure so and um, when we first started out it was very ad hoc and we were focusing on just supporting an artist's practical needs really so that was thinking about you know mainly giving them space a platform to show their work a tiny little bit of money um and then as things developed we realized that actually an artist makes their best work when they feel supported to take risks and um, to take chances and work in new ways. And so we started thinking about different ways we could support an artist to take those risks and to grow. And that meant that we needed to focus beyond the single production into 
but it's more about shifting our focus off of production and onto the artist. So now when we're thinking about artist development, we always place the artist at the start of that. And instead of having a very kind of ad hoc, um, I will give you a bit of space and a date and we'll just see what happens. We take it a lot more seriously. Um, the programme has really grown over the last 10 years. So it's gone from something which was just happening when, you know, when there was a bit of space in the programme in an empty room to something that's now one of the core pillars of the organisation. It's absolutely central in our mission as part of our creative identity as an organisation. We have a very, very structured programme which has four different pathways through it and then some ad hoc things that sit around that. And each one of those four pathways is designed to allow artists to take what they need from us at the right time. Um, we have a really developed philosophy in what we think really works in artist development. And I've seen that philosophy at work for six years now, and I know that it works, which is really exciting um, because it means I really believe in the work that we do here. Um, and that philosophy says that if you take on an artist and you make a commitment to supporting that artist you have to take that artist on their own terms and find out what do they genuinely need you know there's no point having a you know a one-size-fits-all program because no artist is making work in the same way as another artist and no artist has the same no two artists will have the same collection of questions and areas of interest and anxiety and hopes and challenges so when we start working with an artist and we make a commitment to supporting their development, we then sit down with them and work out what do they specifically need at this point in their practice and what will they need in you know, what will they need to have known in a few years' time, and then we put processes in place to support them to get there. And that might be through um a more light touch arrangement. So we've got a program called Class of. So at the moment we've got class of 2019. And that's a group of between 10 and 15 really early career artists who are really interested in learning about the business of theatre. And we brought them together as a cohort through applications. They committed to working with us for 12 months. We committed to working with them for 12 months. And together we developed a syllabus with them so that we could help them learn the things that were useful or important to them. Um, but that's quite light touch you know we do monthly masterclasses with them we take them out on class trips we create opportunities for them to come together as a gang so that they can learn from each other um, and then we have a program called developed with the Lowry which is our longest running program and that through that we take between five and six artists or companies a year into that program and we offer each one of them a 12-month a program of support which includes support to make a production so that's financial investment into the show uh, rehearsal space technical support marketing support um everything that we can put around helping them get that show on its feet and then more often than not usually it premieres with us though if for another reason it, it makes more sense for it to premiere with a different partner we don't stand in the way of that um but alongside that we also have a separate ring fence professional development budget for each of the artists in developed with which is the same size as their production budget and we'll work with them to create a professional development plan that goes all the way through the full year and um, they can't use that money on plugging the holes in their production <laughs> budget so we work with them differently on productions um, but that is a completely bespoke um, opportunity to each of them so 
Sometimes I've had artists who come in and say, we're really interested in including stage combat or different ways of using combat in our physical theatre. And so we've, you know, arranged private parkour classes for them and sent them to Bratislava to do fighting monkey practice courses because they couldn't access them in the UK. And other times I've had artists come to me and say, I'm really worried that if I stay in the arts, I'm never going to be able to have children. I'm never going to be able to own a house. I'm never going to be able to live like my peers. And I don't, I really want to make work, but I don't know that I can sign up to that for my life. And I'm really anxious about it. And so then we do life coaching around that and, um, you know, kind of work out what are these anxieties and what are the things that they could do around that and help them just get some clarity on that so that they're not using their energy worrying about that when they want to put their energy into making work and sometimes actually when we've been through a process like that there have been a couple of times when I've worked with an artist who's come to me with that kind of question like how do I make being an artist work with everything else I want out of my life and when they've come out at the end of the year they've gone you know what what I've realized is I don't want to be a I don't want to be a solo artist. I don't want to be a lead artist. I want to work on other people's projects where I know what I'm getting paid. That I know someone else is taking care of all of that. I don't. That's not who I want to be. Or I thought I wanted to be a performer. Actually, I don't want to be a performer anymore. I don't think the arts is for me. I don't think theatre is for me. And actually, that's. I mean, it's always a bit of an odd outcome. But I think it's a really healthy outcome because at least they know what they want, you know. Um, And then we have our associate artist program, which is where we get really serious about the like really in-depth support. So we have four associate artist companies at the moment. We give them core funding so they know that they've got cash coming in that they can use however they want because we trust them to know better than we do on where their money needs to go. Um, And we do loads of different things with them to help them develop their national reach and profile. So sometimes that's about upscaling them into a mid-scale theatre space, which is, you know, going from instead of working in studio spaces, which might be 140 seats here, we look at our Keys Theatre, which is 500-odd seats. Um, Sometimes it's about commissioning them um, at a different level and they learn to work to a brief and a big commissioning budget. Sometimes it's about really serious organisation development, registering them as a charity. Sometimes it's just about things like brokering office space for them because they need a base mm-hmm. that's a professional base so they're not working out of their houses. You know, there's lots of different ways, but underpinning all of it is the belief that we need to treat each artist that we work with as an entity on their own who needs their own specific things and we need to commit to being really open to listening to what they need and not feeling like we have the answer to that brilliant who, who are those four i said i was going to interrupt uh, <laughs> who are those four companies at the moment the associate companies? at the moment we've got kill the beast who are a comedy theater troupe um, they've been with us for seven years they make absolutely ridiculous comedy horror um very silly, very, very funny musical. Um, we've got a company called Art With Heart, who I think you might have spoken to. Yeah. Um, they're based in Salford. They make socially engaged practice. Uh, we've got a theatre company called Colour the Clouds, who are also local, Salford-based again. And, and we have a company called Lung, who aren't based locally, but they work so much with the young people in our building that we've adopted them <laughs> as our own. Um, and they make politically engaged um, theatre, normally verbatim, that shares stories from underrepresented groups. Um, So, for example, they spent two years working with four young carers based in Salford and then created a touring production that 
gives a real insight into what it means to be a young carer. And then we've supported them to tour that. It's just about to uh, start uh, work towards a second national tour now. Wow. So uh, you got some funding. Uh-huh. Was it last year that, that that came into place? Can you say about that? Yeah, so the Larry, as a you know, huge organisation, has been funded by the Arts Council through their national portfolio for years since we opened, which we're in our 19th year at the Larry now. Um, but artist development has never been funded directly. Um, so we've had some great support over the years from uh, the Joa Charitable Foundation from Esme Fairburn. At the moment, we're supported by the Aranda Rothschild Foundation, the Garrick Charitable Trust. Um, but we never had kind of secure Arts Council funding for artist development, which meant that there was always a, a little bit of precariousness to the programme, even though we deeply believed in the work. Um, and then there was the latest round of funding. Um, it was, in the industry, call it the MPO round. At uh, the latest MPO round, uh, the Arts Council decided to fund artist development directly. So we got an uplift, which means the Arts Council increased the amount of money the Larry receives overall, specifically for artist development. And it's just, it's a massive deal. It's so exciting <laughs> because there's hardly any uplift across the country for arts organisations in theatre. Um, there's so much demand on the Arts Council's fund. So for them to decide to invest directly in this work is it is a massive um it it makes us uh really feel that what we're doing is being noticed and that we're we're working in the right way. And it it's the kind of big deal where um when my boss Julia called me to say that we got this uplift, I genuinely walked out of the office and I walked over the other side of the building and then I cried because I was so (laughs) excited. It's so, it's a big deal for us. And what that means is that for the next four years, well, we're we're in the round now, so for the next three years, uh, we know that the funding's in place to be able to make proper commitments to the artist and to expand the way that we're working. Um, And it just gives us loads of opportunities to do more really exciting stuff. So, yeah, it's good times. Yeah. <laughs> and going back to you for a second, uh-huh. how did you come to do this job? And yeah, how, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't grow up planning to work in theatre. Um, well, no, actually, I didn't grow up knowing people did work in theatre <laughs> if they weren't actors, and I can't act. I've never been able to act, not even in the school play act. Um, so it didn't occur to me that that was something people did. Um, but what my family did love was stories. We read a lot. My mum particularly, like, just filled the house with books. Like, not for, not high literature. I'm talking, like, cowboy books and, you know, historical romance, that kind of thing. Um, and I grew up loving stories. And I eventually did a degree in creative writing over at Bretton Hall in Leeds um, and had the best time. It was really exciting. And I thought... I was going to write and I didn't want to be a novelist because I didn't always want to be on my own. And I thought that sounded like stressful and, you know, I had all these anxieties about it. But I thought what I'd like to do is write features for magazines. That would be really fun. And so I graduated and I got a job as a features writer on a really awful little property, <laughs> aspirational living magazine. You know, the kind that you find like free in, in <laughs> the, the foyers. Surgery, yeah. yeah, one of them. And um, so straight out of university, moved over to Manchester, started working on that magazine. Um, 
And for the first three months, it was brilliant because I was doing all this glamorous stuff, like going to every bar opening and every opening of anything Mm -hmm. in the city and reviewing restaurants and going out for lunch with beauty PRs and interviewing the Kings of Leon and, you know, just doing all kinds of fun stuff. Um, But very quickly, it lost its shine. And I realized that I was spending all of my time um, trying to convince people that what they had wasn't good enough. And it just felt really weird to me because, like, um, I don't, naturally live a very glamorous lifestyle I'm not that I'm just not that person and it felt really uncomfortable to me that I was you know washing my hair with shampoo I was going to write about that was literally made out of caviar and white truffle oil (laughs) seriously and I couldn't afford beans on toast but I'm still writing about it like this is something everybody's got to go and spend 70 pounds on and it just didn't feel right um and then the magazine that I was working on went bust um, and I didn't know where I wanted to go, but I knew I loved stories and I'd done loads of reviewing during that time while I was working for them. And I went and did a few more jobs in media and a lot more reviewing still um, and still just wanted to, the, the more I saw in theatre, the more I saw in live literature, the more, I, the more I saw people telling stories for their living, the more I thought I want to be close to that. And I didn't know how to go about it. And then I saw this job came up as an administrator in the communications team at the Arts Council. And I thought, well, I'm not entirely sure what that is, but they seem to know a bit about what's going on in the arts <laughs> industry. Like, if you're going to learn about it, they, you know, they seem a good place to start. No idea what I was walking into. Um, and... I got that job, which was brilliant. And the Arts Council are an incredible employer for developing the people who work there. So I started out doing this admin role in the communications team there. And very uh, within about six months, this opportunity to do this like two day a week maternity cover in the Northwest Theatre team in New Writing came up. And because I had a degree in creative writing and I've been reviewing forever and they really needed someone immediately to fill that post and they like to develop internally, um, they gave me this opportunity. And it was just like falling off a cliff, falling in love. I was just, oh, I threw myself at it. And I was so aware that I was in this position where people were going to ask me for advice and I needed to earn the right to give that advice. So for the next six months, I went to the theatre, I think six nights a week, (laughs) um, plus any matinees that I could get into as well. Like all of the time, I just, I didn't go home basically um, to see as much as I could. And I read as much as I could and I listened to as much as I could um, and just completely saturated myself in it. Um, And that was really exciting not sustainable forever but I carried on doing that for um I did that for about six months and then and there was I started feeling like I needed to get my hands dirty you know it's not enough just to see a lot of fear so I started doing script reading and a bit of freelance producing and then a bit more freelance producing (laughs) alongside this full-time job and the MA I was trying to do in creative writing at the time very busy really fun um and then there was a couple of changes in the Arts Council and I ended up progressing in that team. And I ended up as one of two theatre officers for the country working in the Grants for the Arts programme, which is the forerunner of Project Grants. And I did that for, I think, four years, uh, which was really amazing because you develop this incredible national overview of what's happening and who's making what and what the trends are. But also if all you're doing all day 
is talking to artists and reading grants for the arts applications and seeing project reports and learning what worked and what didn't, you start understanding really how is the industry working and what works for artists and what doesn't. Um, so I did that for a long time. And then this job, this programming job came up at the Lowry and I'd always obviously wanted to end up in a theatre and the job, when this job was advertised, it was 80% programming the studio, the Aldridge studio, um, which kind of worked almost as a little venue on its own within the venue at that time, which is totally different to how it works now. And then 20% artist development on the side, like a, like I was saying, very ad hoc. Um, and I somehow managed to get this job. It was like... I was so excited to get it. It was really lovely. Like tricky because at the same time I had, uh, my mum was dying at the same time as terminally ill. So I was very anxious about taking the job because this kind of job is really overwhelming. And so the first time they offered it to me, I turned them down and I said, I'm sorry, it's just the wrong, I, I desperately want the job, but the timing is awful. I've just found out my mum's going to die. I need to be able to care for her for the next few months while she had cancer. Um, and they said, we understand that let us help you um we can be really flexible with you while you need it and then we want you to stay with us for a long time so this is a really difficult but it's a short-term situation for you we'll do whatever we need to do to help you be able to get through that period um and when an organization gives you that kind of opportunity you never forget it is something else so then I started working here got through the difficult time um and at the same time realized that actually there was so much opportunity in artist development here and it wasn't necessarily the kind of organization that artists thought about coming to to ask for support and I thought I bet if we work really hard at that we can start changing that and so I made that a bit of a mission Mm -hmm. and then six years later here we are this is what I'm doing now (laughs) brilliant and what's your favorite part of the process um I think there's a couple of different favorite moments I love being in the audience just before a show is about to open having seen its journey over a year like that is I love it it also you you get Christmas belly so you're (laughs) you're excited and really nervous at the same time um but I also really love that start of a relationship with an artist where you're trying to get to know the artist and you're working out what is it that you can really offer, what can we offer as an organisation to that artist and just trying to make the connections between like we've, you know, we're not a producing house primarily so we're not going to be able to take someone's script, give them a beautiful production and then send it out into the world. We need to help that artist do that work themselves Mm -hmm. but we do have an incredible amount of connections because we have three theatres here which have incredible companies through them all the time we build really good relationships so it's lovely to be able to talk to an artist about what they need and then think oh I know this company over in Bristol were thinking about that three years ago and I bet they learned something interesting and maybe I can set up a conversation so that you can go down and learn from them and then that could springboard you into looking at this over here I love that I love that connection moment that's really for me, that's where the joy sits in the job. And on the other side of the scale, what's the hardest part of your job? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if you're going to do artist development and you're going to commit to supporting artists, that means that you've got to build relationships that are built on honesty. And that means that sometimes you're going to have conversations that are really painful and difficult. Mm. And sometimes 
that's about, you know, giving feedback on work and saying, you know, I just don't think that this artistic idea is working. Um, and this is what I'm seeing from where I'm sitting in the audience. Sometimes it's about talking to the artist about how they're managing relationships or um, how they're interacting with this kind of big organization, because that can be a massive learning process for artists as well sometimes. I mean, the Larry is a big beast, and so you need to learn how to build relationships across a whole number of different departments and work in different ways. Um, And sometimes it's where I am learning, because more often than not, I'm learning alongside the artist. And there's been time, there's been things over the years. So for example, I'm incredibly careful now about when I support artists who are making solo autobiographical work, particularly when they're making solo work that's based in their own trauma. And there was a big fashion for it about three years, four, three or four years ago. And it seemed like everybody and particularly early career artists were making solo shows that were looking at hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think we as an industry had really thought about what does it mean to be venues or commissioners or, you know, supporters encouraging those artists to go on those journeys. And now I have very, very clear boundaries around that. I set up counselling beforehand so that if the artist needs it, that's already in place. We do a lot of work with them about um, how to manage situations like when audience members disclose their own trauma in the bar directly after the show because that always happens and it can be very difficult to manage. Um, I'm very careful about making sure that artists are at the right point in their own uh, personal development around that you know around that stuff so that they're in the right place to be exposed in front of an audience and that comes out of a couple of experiences I had where we supported artists who we didn't realize were not at that point and we didn't have the things in place to support them and there were real life emotional consequences for them in opening boxes because they were being supported to do so without anyone helping them put the stuff back in the box at the end of the show. Um, So for me, that's the more difficult stuff where there's something that I haven't learned yet that then has uh, a difficult lesson at the end of it. Uh, So we are recording on International Women's Day. Yes. Happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day. (laughs) Um, So I know that you've just come back from maternity leave. Yes. And that's always something that I know I'm aware of and I know a lot of other women in the arts are aware of. Mm -hmm. How do you find going on maternity leave and coming back into this industry? Okay. Um, This is actually my second time on maternity leave. So I have a four-year-old and then I've got a baby who's who's just past 10 months old now. Um, And I think a lot of it depends on what your context is. Mm. So... I'm incredibly well supported here at the Larry. They're amazing for maternity, which is just as well because I think we've got about 10 <laughs> staff members on maternity at the moment. Oh, wow. um, so including three of our directors. Oh, wow. So we have a lot of maternity leave in this organization, but our, uh, our chief exec, Julia, is really like, she's personally and politically uh, committed to making sure that you don't lose your momentum when you go on maternity leave and when you come back. Yeah. Um, and it's just incredibly generous with uh, with that entire situation. Very, mm. very supportive. So I'm really lucky. And I'm really lucky in that 
I work in an organisation that can be really flexible. I'm also really lucky that I work in a job that is salaried and has that kind of security and you know so I think my experience is very different from a freelance artist whose hours may shift where childcare is difficult Mm. for different reasons but with all of that caveats aside um I think in general it's it's really hard sometimes (laughs) It, it can be really hard um I think one of the things that's really difficult in this industry is that so much of it is evening work Mm. Um, and a lot of us are working day jobs and evening jobs whether you're a producer or you're uh, working in a venue or you're uh, working in rehearsals you know you're you're spending your day on the on facilitating the creation of the work but then in the evenings you're seeing the work or being in the work and that can be really hard to balance that work-life balance Mm. actually um I don't think as an industry we've cracked it. I don't think we're great at, as an industry in supporting parents because I think women and men should have the right and the ability to be able to manage childcare alongside their work um, and to be able to um, to be able to bring all of the parts of themselves to their jobs. I think it can be really, really hard. I'm really interested in the work that some organisations are doing around that. Obviously, there's Parents in Performing Arts. There's locally, there's things like Mothers Who Make and that kind of thing. I think that's really, really interesting. Um, I think what, for me, on a personal level, the biggest trick has been working out that I need to decide for myself what that balance is. And then I need to not feel guilty about the fact that at the start of my career, I might have been in a theatre six nights a week. I'm not going to do that now because I've got two tiny humans whose hearts <laughs> break when I'm not home to put them to bed. So I need to feel comfortable in making my decisions according to my context and deciding I might go and see one show a week or two shows a week, or I might decide that something I need to be somewhere in person, or maybe I need to see something on video or whatever. And then being confident enough to say the reason that I'm doing this isn't because I'm busy or I have other commitments. It's because I have childcare to think about. I have a family that I'm trying to balance. And then being really vocal about that and being fine about making those decisions. So the artists that I'm working with also feel empowered to say, actually, I've got small kids. Can I bring them into the meeting? Can I, uh, can we schedule these activities at times that work better for me. You know, the more we talk about the fact that it can be hard to make that balance, but we work in the most, you know, we're creating worlds in theatre. It should be possible to create a world that works for the people who work in theatre yeah, as well. So, true. so being committed to that and being open about it and being happy to have conversations about it, I think is really important. Um, I also really love it when people who are further up the ladder are really vocal about what they're doing to manage their work-life balance as well I think it's really inspiring when we have chief executives and artistic directors and people who are at the top of their game and very visible in the industry talking about the fact that they are successfully managing to do childcare and be active present parents and active present directors and chief executives and things the more role models we have the more conversations we have the easier it is for everybody to ask for what they need Mm. and I also think as well it's even even if you don't have children I think it's such an important balance that so many people really struggle with absolutely how to be like actually 
I was going to go and see that show, but actually I really need the night off. I really want the night yeah. for myself and that it's Completely. such a difficult thing to do, isn't it? And it's a really good yeah. conversation to be having. Yeah, I think there's this whole culture that, um, you know, that you need to burn for your art. And yeah. I'm, I'm so over that. You yeah. know, we don't need people who are going to dedicate their lives to it. We need people with rounded, interesting, um, varied lives that they can bring into their jobs and into the theatre and into the world that they're creating. Mm-hmm. And if you're only ever in a theatre bubble and you're working 90 hours a week on creating theatre, then sooner or later you're going to burn out or you're going to run out of things to say that aren't about theatre. You start making theatre about making theatre that no one but people working in theatre want to see, mm. you know. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Very true. Um, right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I completely agree. It's a really, really good point. Um, so what, uh, what inspires you? Sorry, that was such a... <laughs> in general. Uh, yeah, in general, or like in theatre, but also yeah. what, what, what excites you? Um, well, right now... I mean, it's always been stories. Stories are what I'm excited by. And I used to be very kind of text-based and I like a well-written play. And now 90% of what I support is not about text-based theatre in general, actually. Okay. Partly because we, as a, as a predominantly receiving house, we don't have the skills to create theatre from scripts ourselves so I don't work directly with writers um, but I love stories and I love interaction between people and character dynamics and interpersonal dynamics I love that um, so I get really excited when there's a story that I haven't heard that I can you know get involved in and think about um, I also really at the same time like on a personal level away from what I'm likely to commission and um, I really love the idea of the you know, the perennial stories that keep coming back. I'm really, like, I'd spent a lot of years studying the like classical myths and classical literature and stuff because I think it's really interesting that people were telling stories, you know, 7,000 years ago that are still looking at the same interpersonal dynamics that we're looking at now. So stories are always massive for me. What I'm excited about in terms of what I want to find in theatre at the moment, which actually I am not finding. So, you know, if, if you find anyone doing this, please send them my way. I think we are in the most extraordinary and heartbreaking and vicious and interesting and uh, just unbelievable times. And I, I'm really interested to see how artists are going to be making work in response to this context that we're in, you know, where, the, where it feels like all the things that we take for granted, you know, that good will out, that if you're a nice person, you get ahead, that everybody will look after each other, that we trust and believe in each other, that, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. Actually, I, I feel like there's a real assault on that at the moment in, from a lot of different directions, you know, in politics, in austerity and, um, in communities. I, I live in a tiny little, um, borough between Bolton and Berry called Radcliffe and yesterday I saw a Facebook can- campaign that has launched in Radcliffe for independence from Berry and people are really getting behind it and I'm thinking when did we get to a point where we're all desperate to be separate and we mm. don't want to engage with other people and it makes me scared and it makes me angry but it also makes me really interested because I think artists have always been the people who have the clearest vision and the most the most interesting way of looking at the times that we're in and allowing people to explore those times. And I'm, yeah, so I want to find work over the next couple of years that is as 
challenging and as just has so much to it uh, to reflect where we are now mm. because I think it's a necessity. I think it's, a, it's absolutely a necessity in the time that we're in that we see work that helps us make sense of where we are because I don't know where we are and I don't know where we're going mm. um, and I want artists to help me kind of understand that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where my head's at and my heart's at. Yeah. Um, and if that's done through great stories, then so much the better. Yeah. yeah. What is your proudest moment since working at the Lowry? Oh, big question. It is a big question because, you know, I don't think there's a single moment. There's loads of moments where I've seen incredible shows um, opening. There's been times when we've pushed the organisation to do things we didn't think we could do. Like we had uh, Monkey Word once uh, created a show in the Keys where we built a theatre stadium in the round in the middle of the Keys and they made it rain and stuff. And I had a dance piece from a company called Igor Moreno last year where we created an impenetrable wall of theatrical smoke that was scented and um, filled the entire studio with that and the audience experienced this dance arriving and disappearing through the smoke. And there's all kinds of like really interesting single moments. But actually the thing that I'm the proudest of in my time in this job is it's a bit more kind of, uh, it's a bit looser than that. It's the change in the way that artists now engage with the organisation. And it's that sense that artists are now seeing the Larry as somewhere that they can approach Mm. and come and talk to, and that we are open to interesting ideas where previously they might not have known that about us. Um, It's also, I think, the way that the Larry, and actually Greater Manchester as a whole, is starting to collaborate with other partners. Yeah. And I feel I feel proud of that because some of those relationships sit with me and I work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel proud in terms of where theatre is at in Greater Manchester in the way that those connections are now forming. I think there's been a massive change over the last 10 years in the way that venues and organisations that support artists are working together in partnership. And trying, I mean, partly because we've got you know, some incredible people in this area at the moment who are really challenging old ways of working. So say Matt Fenton at Contact is the most generous collaborator. He is so unterritorial about working with artists um, and so interested in how organisations might work together to support artists, for example. Yeah. Or like, um, I work a lot with Amy Clues at the Royal Exchange to see how we've got a programme called Artist Network, which is an open door access programme for anyone who wants to um, start a relationship with us. And we do masterclasses and workshops and networking things and all kinds of bits and pieces. And it's quite similar to the Royal Exchange's Open Exchange programme. Mm-hmm. So I might work with Amy on seeing how can we encourage artists to move between those two programmes and take what they need from both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sense of being able to hold artists with open hands mm-hmm. is something that I love that the Larry is developing and I love that Greater Manchester is developing and I am proud of the part I get to play in that. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that's quite exclusive to Manchester that that's happening? Or do you see it happening in other cities as well? Well, when I talk to colleagues in other cities that have a high concentration of um, theatres and arts centres, so like Bristol, for example, I Mm. think 
there's diff- there's, there's a different culture in each city or each city region. Yeah. Um, but I think Manchester's quite distinctive in the way that it's now actively looking at how we collaborate together. And I don't think we've always cracked it. And I think, you know, there are obviously times when a theatre might feel that they need to protect their own interests or their own positioning or, you know, that a relationship sits very much w- between an artist and that specific theatre. Um, but I think... There's a lot of work happening, some of which is developing at the moment and quite quickly to look at how we can create opportunities for change in that. Mm. Um, And I think, like, my dream is that we'll get to a point where artists feel completely comfortable in coming to me and saying, I've got this great idea for a project but I need to learn this stuff in order to make it work. And I think developed with feels like the right way to make it work. And they feel totally comfortable coming and having that conversation with me, knowing they've got another project being developed with the Royal Exchange and they've been supported by home last Mm -hmm. year and they're working with Contact next year and they're working with Stun and they're working with Z Arts and they're working with Waterside Arts Centre and, you know, they're taking stuff to Hope Mill and they feel completely comfortable in moving between all of the different places Mm -hmm. that can support them in the city, taking what they need and creating incredible work that they then take out of the city and take nationally and internationally, mm. um, and that we can all play a part in that support system. Mm. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Completely. Yeah, completely. Um, as it's International Women's Day, should we just take a moment just to talk about women and women in theatre and how to allow space for the voices of women? Sure. Um, I am really passionately feminist as anyone who follows my twitter will probably uh see um and i don't think it's a case of allowing space for women's voices i think it's a it's a case of demanding mm. and creating and ensuring that women's voices are heard because i think those voices are there they always exist they always have existed um but it's about trying to make sure that we are listening to them and we are looking for them i think We've got some really incredible female artistic directors and leaders in the industry who are doing a good job now of, um, you know, showing that actually women can hold those top jobs in an incredible, fierce, really exciting way, doing incredible work. Um, Sarah Frankham obviously being an incredible local yeah. example. Um, when I'm working with earlier career female artists, um, I notice still some of those tendencies that we you know when you read about um male and female leadership and things and uh, they always talk about the tendency of women to lead by apologizing Mm. or they you know they apologize at the start of an email before they've even said anything you know sorry to bother you I'm just and just isn't it exactly and exactly and I, I always try and tell the artist that I'm working with, that it's so important not to put yourself down, not to wait until you're completely ready to apply for something, go and learn on the job, because you bet that male applicants are going to be doing that. (laughs) So you need to be comfortable in faking it till you make it, we were just saying, and, um, and not waiting always for the perfect opportunity to speak. But I I think Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, which if you've not read it, it's a, this um, book that came out a few years ago that's about women in leadership. And it talks about the importance of women leaning into their careers, taking a seat at the table without being invited, um, not always trying to be everybody's best friend, all that kind of thing. Um, and it got 
a lot of a lot of women felt it really strongly in their hearts and a lot of women felt like Cheryl Sandberg did not understand the practicalities of uh real life when you don't have a you know a enormous amount of people around you to help you make that happen and um, you know and you know there's a lot of privilege and a lot of assumptions in that book but a lot of what she said I still think is really important about um supporting other women and making sure that you are uh checking yourself unconscious bias and not taking yourself out of the race when you could still be running it so a lot of that stuff about um you know like taking your foot off the pedal in your career because one day you want to be a mother Mm -hmm. You don't have to do that. You can have a career and be a mother and you can go full force on both of them if that's what you want to do. Mm. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of work still to be done, I think, before we resolve the inequalities that sit in our society around uh, how women perceive themselves, how women are perceived, uh, everything that's happened with Me Too, uh, there's so much to think about in the industry, but I think we just need to be aware that that conversation is not a concluded conversation. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. And do you do you have a sort of message or like a mantra that you really, if anyone, if people take anything away from this interview, it's do you have something that you really want to kind of? Yeah, if you're a female artist or a female person working in theatre in the industry, I think. Don't apologise for being here. (laughs) Never apologise for being here. If you have got an opportunity, if someone's given you an opportunity, don't doubt why they've given you the opportunity. It is wasted headspace. Get on and make the most of it, but don't doubt yourself because there's plenty of other people who are going to tell you that you're rubbish, but you inside yourself need to be absolutely sure that you are incredible without wanting to get too American and power ballad (laughs) on it. But you have the best understanding of your own incredible unique potential and you should carry that into a room when you go in not your self-doubt oh, i feel so inspired now <laughs> <laughs> talk about it forever um we better move on um, yes. <laughs> no, it's good um so what what's next for the artist development program um so we are gonna do a lot of work around making sure that people know more about artist development at the Larry in general and mm. um, we've done 10 years of developing it but we haven't always been very loud about what we've been doing over that 10 years and I want to make sure that people are really aware of what the offer is here and what we can do with artists so that more and more artists feel like they can come and approach us mm. um, we're extending out our philosophy which we've developed mainly through working with theatre makers into the other art forms that are represented across the organisation. So we're working now with dance makers and circus makers. We're starting working with visual artists as well, which I think is really exciting. We've got our first experience of moving a dance company into a visual arts uh, context because the way that they start making work is very much like a visual artist. Mm. So um, and one of the things that's so exciting about moving into these art forms is the opportunity to say you know in dance there's this practice or this approach which I think could be really interesting for your theatre practice for example or um if you're making circus you might have a whole different set of assumptions and working practices than someone who's working with a cross-disciplinary digital practice for example Mm -hmm. so there's going to be lots of 
helping people be magpies across different art forms, which I'm really excited about. Um, and lots more uh, <coughs> creating case studies and things like that so that people can learn from that online, even if they're not in our program. Um, there's <coughs> also going to be... <laughs> Um, there's also going to be um, lots more work to uh, to bring different voices into the organisation. So that question of how do we make sure that we're reaching the widest range of artists from the widest range of backgrounds, ethnicities, voices, life experiences, who can bring all this different experience into the work that they're making. Mm-hmm. There's always much, much, much more to do in that area i think every organization every arts organization in the country is or should be thinking about that at the moment including us so there's some interesting work going on there um and then a lot more thinking about how do we how do we really genuinely support artists and how do we create the right opportunities for that and some of that is in partnership working and some of that is working with other venues around greater manchester or nationally Mm -hmm. um lots more collaboration is on the cards which i'm really excited about because i love collaboration um yeah and so if people want to find out more about you and more about the program Mm -hmm. what's the best way to do that um so the larry website is a really good place to start if you search for the larry artist development you'll find a breakdown of all of what we do and there'll be more stuff going up on the website um over the next few months so keep checking back there's our artist network which is our open access program anybody can become a member of the artist network and through that we offer uh there's all kinds of different things, workshops and masterclasses and newsletters and things, but also it's a really good way of just starting to get an understanding of what we offer here. Um, people can email directly on artistdevelopment at thelarry.com or they can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Claire Roses, Claire underscore Roses. Um, and I love Twitter at the moment. I'm, I'm falling back in love with it after having stepped away for a couple of years. So that's really good fun for me. Um, or just come and have a chat with us. Uh, whichever way you arrive at the door we want to have a conversation so it's you know if people want to find out what we're doing or if they've got projects that they think could fit really well with the kind of support we can offer then it's always worth that conversation brilliant oh thank you so much been absolutely pleasure it's been really fun Great work, Sophie. There, great interview. Thanks very much. I mean, I don't know if you could tell how much I fangirled all over Claire. Then, um, but you uh, know, I think you <laughs> playing it cool, playing it cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you learned um, new things. Yeah. So next week's episode is going to be Nikki Miles Wilden, who has, uh, for the last 18 months, been the resident assistant director at the Royal Exchange Theatre. She also directed the Young Company production of The Tempest uh, that they did last summer. Um, really interesting interview. She's also been assistant director at the National Theatre with Rufus Norris. Um, she's done a lot of different things. She was also Miranda in the London 2012 Paralympic Games. Uh, so do check that out next week. Again, if you've missed any of our episodes so far, you can check them out on our 
website, mbtpodcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at mbtpodcast1 and also search for us on Facebook, Manchester's Big Theatre Podcast. Please do let us know what you think of the episode. Share it with your friends, followers, enemies, anyone really. Yeah, we'll take the numbers. Um, And uh, we will hopefully uh, see you, hear from you. You'll hear us next week.